Uh, welcome back to Stick Talk. This is now episode four. Uh, you might notice we're wearing the same clothes as we did in episode three, uh, trying to bang out some episodes to keep the content coming for you guys with our travel schedules and everything else going on in the business. But uh, really excited about our guest here today, Oliver Catton, uh, Christian, myself, Dan. Uh, we don't know too much about you other than uh, that you are a big influence in our space. And I think I speak for all of us uh, that like you really helped us to get to where we're at. Like you're kind of like a mentor from afar. So it's a really unique opportunity. This is like the first, we literally met like 10 minutes ago, right? <laughs> True story. I appreciate that, Andre. Thank you. And so I didn't realize that you saw me that way. That's very nice to yeah. you know. So this is really cool. It's like no better way to uh, conduct the conversation, intro conversation than uh, on this show here today. So Oliver, for us, I guess, and for the audience out there, uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're all about. Sure. Uh, for our purposes, I would say... I am a guy who came to the online game pretty late in life. I was uh, employed, worked different sales and marketing jobs, built sales teams, built marketing campaigns in a, in a corporate setting, got really bored, uh, went and did an MBA, met people in my MBA uh, doing a tech startup. So that was 2013, 2014. And until that point, until maybe 2015 or 2016, I didn't know anything about non-tech startups. Like, what is copywriting? What is media buying? What is info marketing? Like, I knew none of that stuff. And a friend of mine just explained to me, like an, an IRL friend, right? Not a Twitter friend. Hey, have you heard about dropshipping? And I'm like, oh. So I never was a dropshipper or an e-com guy, but just the idea of, okay, I don't need to invent something brand new. I don't need to be a coder. I don't need to have, to have a technical co-founder, all of that stuff. And that led me to learning about copy, media buying, creating offers. Um, and I'll, you know, I can keep going, but that, that's kind of how I got to Sweet. eventually be a guy you know on Twitter. Yeah, so talk about the transition from tech startup getting an MBA to learning about, I guess, and being yeah, sure. introduced to Twitter? And how did Twitter impact your career path and all the skills that you have now? Twitter is big, man. Like, if you compare Twitter and NBA, NBA is... It was fun. It was... <laughs> it, it was I call it an adult summer camp. Like, you have guys and girls who probably are not happy. This was a full-time NBA, so you're not necessarily happy in your career, and you want to switch. Most people do an MBA for career switching purposes. Yep. So um, I knew I wanted to switch. I had no idea what I wanted to switch to. And I randomly met this guy who had uh, created this product on Kickstarter. That got me to the tech startup, which was a follow-up to that product. And I don't know how I got on Twitter, but I guess the first person I saw doing real stuff would be Nate Schmidt, right? As many of us, I think... Uh, so it's the kind of thing that you're, you're kind of skeptical in the beginning, right? So I was older, uh, I am and was older than our friend Nate. And so you're like, this kid is making all these claims, right? And this, but the more you learn and research, like, oh, it's, it's legit. And um, what I liked about Nate and how he helped me was to unpack what was copy and offer inside e-com. So that's why he was really influential for me. I had seen other kids talk about drop shipping, but they were just like, oh, just find a product. And that didn't make sense to yeah, me. Yeah. But Nate unpacking 
what he was doing from a copy perspective, that whenever that moment was, that's what got me in this chair today. So thank you, Nate, if you're watching. <laughs> that's uh, awesome. And what I always find interesting is like the transition from being someone that is, I guess, on the sidelines of Money Twitter, because I feel like all of us yeah. kind of started there, and then transitioning into like making the decision to start a business or become like a voice that other people then follow. So like, what was that transition point for you? I guess like, what was the first offer or business you started? So I definitely made my first dollar online before tweeting. My first dollar online was local lead gen for a dentist friend. And I joined some kind of Twitter group made friends with uh, our friend Rogue Wealth. And Rogue Wealth told me, bro, you should probably tweet. And I did. And eventually um, made friends with other people on Twitter, helped them with their offer, wrote copy, did some email marketing, uh, eventually had my own offers, and then decided to, okay, I'm gonna you know, share my, my story, what I'm learning. And I'm sure you guys have felt this way too, right? But it's yeah. the idea of, if you can't articulate what you're doing and why you're doing it, you don't know it that well, right? So it yeah, kind yeah. of forces you to do something. And I've had periods where I was just completely offline. I just was kind of burned out from social media and then periods where I'm on but not inspired. And I feel that's a cue to are you spending too much time or are you not innovating enough in your business, right? And innovating doesn't mean literally inventing but innovating yeah for your purposes, right? Maybe you need a new a new setter in your business or a new way to hire setters, whatever it is, to then have new things to talk about, whatever it is that you're talking about. Um, like if I look back at old tweets, I'm like, oh, I was in that period, Yeah. right? So I guess going back even like a little bit further before you started the business, you were in a regular job. So the alternative probably wasn't like, hey, I start a business or starve. It was probably like, hey, I get a better job with a higher salary, better perks. So like yeah. what motivated you to be like, okay, I'm kind of done with the nine to five and now I want to do my own thing. Was it like a big decision that you made consciously or did you kind of just like fall into it? It was definitely conscious. So I have had the luck, pleasure and opportunity to not work in an actual office since like 2014. Okay. And still that wasn't good enough. So my motivation was really freedom, right? So location and time independence. So the, like the, the two last corporate jobs I had were like a regional sales manager. So I was not in an office, but I was going, dialing in sales processes for retail stores and accountable for a territory and all that stuff. And the last one I had was a national marketing manager where um, I finagled my way into a work from home and a non-work from home environment. <laughs> That's kind of funny because I was telling people in office A that I was in office B and people in office B that I was in office A. My VP knew and liked me and didn't care, but I, there was like this big elaborate lie. But still having to be on calls, and it was literally conference calls, not Zoom calls back. back. So having to pay attention on calls that I didn't care about, um, that was a big motivation to, to not be. And really not being, I think all entrepreneurs can relate to this, is not being paid what I think I'm worth. Like if you do something in corporate, other than maybe in finance, so Wall Street Playboy, before Bowtie Bowl, Wall Street Playboy, right? Say like real talk, as an employee, and I have employees too, so that's, that's not how I think, but I, you can kind of think that way. 
you're a line on the spreadsheet, right? And if you produce more than you cost, then you're a good employee. And if you don't, then you're not, and you probably won't have a lot of longevity. So when you think of yourself that way, I'm a, I'm a line on someone else's spreadsheet. I know for a fact the revenue growth and the profit growth I drove in my, I was always very close to revenue in sales and marketing. I know for a fact it is 10, if not 20x what I'm being paid and maybe 50 or 100 in, in corporate. And I know that the absolute best case scenario is for me to have a, a better title, maybe a company car and make like 20k a month, right? Yeah. In, in corporate, like I was, my, my neighbor, uh, who's a Twitter guy, I explained to him, he's like a 22-year-old, very nice kid. When I told him that a vice president in a Fortune 500 company probably makes no more than 25, 30K a month, his mind like exploded. And, like, and that's the truth. Most non-finance organizations, you don't make that much money. You just don't. So freedom was my first motivation. And then being not necessarily a, a number per se, but feeling like I personally got what I earned. Like cap, like there was a ceiling. Yes, right? thank yeah. you. That's a very, very shorter way to say what I'm saying. Yes, <laughs> yeah. not being capped is huge. And like, why didn't you do it sooner? Was like the main fear, like, hey, I, like, don't want to have like the security of not having a paycheck, or like, you know, were you like, oh man, it's tough to just start from zero. Like, why? I, I guess why did it take you a couple years to figure it out? The honest answer is ignorance, because I had done a startup before, so my perspective of the business landscape was, well, okay, I can try and create like a massive five, Fortune 500 company. I can do a tech startup. I can have a brick and mortar business. I considered like buying a franchise, but I didn't know about like internet marketing, right? And um, I, in my head back then, a marketing agency was like, I'm making logos, right? I'm Gosh. designing websites. So I didn't realize that my skill set and my natural abilities could be used that way. Now I feel really silly, right? Like Yeah, I feel like that's a really good point. It's cause you don't know what you don't like, know. Yeah, like when I was growing up, I thought, yeah, in order to start a business, I have to have like a groundbreaking revolutionary idea. As opposed that to like no one else can know yeah, about Yeah, yeah. Like nobody yeah. else can yeah, know it's, it's about it. It's a big it. secret, right? Oh, Sign dude. this NDA. <laughs> we like we so we grew up together, we're actually cousins. And we used to always yeah, we think don't of like look these, alike at these all. crazy. Yeah, you, you saw me do those. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's on my mom's side. My That's dad, right. my dad was Irish. His dad's <laughs> Lebanese. So, <laughs> but anyways, it's very interesting. Then you get to that point where you know you stumble across a guy like Schmidt or you know somebody else, Russell Brunson, whoever it may be, and you're like, oh, I can just grow other people's businesses, and that within itself is a business, dude. 100. percent Yeah, and. I'm going to give Nate a little bit more praise because you see a guy like Russell Brunson from the outside, right? You're like, okay, he's an anomaly. I don't know if, if what he's saying is true. Who knows what funding source he has? Whereas you see a, a guy like Nate, so I guess that was 2018 maybe, right? You're like, okay. Like, I remember him telling about his college stories and I'm like, he's, he's, he's me years ago. Right? I'm like, he's yeah. a smart kid in college who gets that the matrix is kind of bullshit, who just figured stuff out way earlier. So I'm I'm jealous in a healthy way. I'm like, man, I wish I figured this out 15 years ago. Yeah. Right? It gave you like that urgency, like the yeah. kick in the ass to that, be like, if he's doing it, why why can't I? That, that's it. And you know, if, if you want to like theme this episode, it's, so I'm 37, right? So I think the older you get, the more risk averse you become because you have a car payment and a mortgage and maybe a family and all yep. this stuff. 
And you don't necessarily have to jump in and quit your job and burn all bridges, nor do you nor do you have to necessarily say, hey, I will make 100K per month ever. Some people never will, but the comparison should be what can the corporate world give you, right? Some, for some people, making $14,000 per month is extraordinary. Yeah. And, and that's great, right? That's what I think older people, they think it's either I'm going to be a failure in business if I'm not Russell Brunson, or it's too late for me, right? But that, that's just wrong. Yeah, There's sometimes you need that. Yeah, you need that more relatable story. That, so like Nate. That, that's right. So I think yeah. Twitter is it's a mindset and identity reconfiguration mechanism if you let it. Some people talk a big game. But if you let that be something to dissuade you or turn you off from doing stuff on your own because some people are exaggerating, then... You're the fool, right? Yeah, it's ignorance. It's like a lazy excuse. Yeah. And I talk to these guys all the time. Like Christian, when we first met in college and started a podcast, like his career path was going to be accounting, right? And like all of his friends now are in accounting and say they're making $150,000 to $200,000 a year working at a big firm in New York City compared to making $100,000 in a business. Like on paper, it seems like you're making less, but yeah. Like I would much prefer a lifestyle where I get to live where I want, I get to work with who I want, when I want, uh, and and have meals paid for, tax benefits, like having equity and ownership of a business, like there's so many underlying benefits that people just don't realize or understand. 100%. And you know the, the flip side is some people want that security and that predictability and then is there something more secure and predictable than accounting, right? Uh yeah, no, there's really not. <laughs> which is which is fine. Like, yeah. I, to be completely honest, I didn't pay attention fully in my accounting classes, but I could tomorrow use my degree and probably go get an accounting job in some office building in St. Pete. When you say don't pay attention, you mean that you I was were like working so on attentive that if you do need a job, you'd be amazing, right? That's what yeah, you yeah. Do. Okay. But like in the cl- <laughs> in the class, yeah, I was working on the business while not paying attention to business class. Of course. But my the way I look at it is, I would rather make. 20% less money working for myself with the lifestyle that we have now than work 60, 70 hours in a cubicle and 100% do taxes. You, you know who was really ahead of the game there is Tim Ferriss, right? The, the four-hour work week. Yeah. I And you know what's actually funny is I read that roughly when it came out. I did not believe it at that time. Yeah. Whereas if I just applied it literally, like he was talking about dropshipping and a supplement company and... I think either I just didn't believe it or I felt my personality and skill set isn't built for that. But if he had mentioned, uh, now I'm, I'm going to blame Tim Ferriss, right? If Tim Ferriss had done me a personal favor and talked about marketing agencies and building sales team as a business, I would have started 10 years earlier. That's the, it's whatever your, your kind of inspiration is. But I'm, I'm with you, right? In terms of, that made me think of that because lifestyle design, right? That's, what kind of life do you want to live? Some jobs will allow you to do that if you are not required to be on conference calls, if you're really just do producing or reviewing stuff. Maybe that's great, but it's difficult, right? It's so much easier to solve a problem for someone who is willing to pay you for that problem to be solved and then to have a small team and then to build a nice life. Like it's 
we all agree on that. Yeah, point. and the coolest part is like if you make a thousand dollars a week at an accounting job, I think getting a thousand dollars sent to your PayPal from someone that you did work for is so much more gratifying too, right? Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot more to it. I relate to that story too about Tim Ferriss, like going through his book and and hearing and not like believing what he was talking about because I wasn't drawn to the business models that he was proposing. But on the flip side, finding Gary Vee, who like we're all big fans of. And reading his book where he talked about like starting a podcast and building a business model around like what you're passionate about. And I think like when you're first getting started, what it sounds like you did a really good job of is you kind of like expose yourself to all these different types of people that were having success until you found someone that you could truly relate to. It wasn't Russell Brunson. It wasn't Tim Ferriss. It was someone like Nate Schmidt. And so I guess my question for you is now that you are like a Nate Schmidt, which is pretty cool to kind of look back that, at, right? Like you are like yes. a figure like Nate Schmidt for people coming into the industry now. Like if someone's now just getting started in online business or in the Twitter space, what it sounds like you did a really good job of is connecting with some of the bigger uh, brands like Rogue Wealth and Nate Schmidt. Like how can they do something similar? Like how can they connect with you and like make a good impression and not be like a weirdo in a sense? I think your, your question contains the answer, right? Not, not being a weirdo. Um, I think the right answer is different for, for different people. Um, I mean, Twitter, our, we were just talking to, to Daniel about this, right? Like our little Twitter bubble is different than other sides of Twitter, than other social media. So I think just teaching yourself the rules of the game and who's who and who's doing what and some people might say today on Twitter versus last year or two years ago, there's there's more clickbaity content and more lists. Yep. But I would argue, if you're new, people are more explicit about what they're doing and how they're doing it now. Mm. So it's easier than ever to say, hey, who who do I want to model and emulate, right? And if you push that further, if you say should I want to be like, let's just say Daniel, right? So cold email whiz, for, for example, if you, well, who are the people who follows him? Who does he follow? What's his audience relating to? And how can I complement what they're doing, right? So one way to think about marketing and offers is there's always the next problem, right? And I think yeah. you guys are really good at this with, I think you're doing both vertical and horizontal um, scaling. People that you relate to and you like are solving a certain number of things for people. What could you do that is getting people ready for that or helping people further or complimenting, right? So be, be complimentary is my short answer to that long sentence. Rather than trying to yeah. compete. That, that, yeah, I mean, you, it's not that you shouldn't compete. It's not that, like saturation is cope almost all the time, right? Not competing is cope almost all the time. But if you compete for the same audience the same way with the same message from the same channel, you're probably not going to do so great yeah. or you're leaving a lot of money on the table. Yeah, it's just about adding value because like the amount of times I get a cold DM from somebody who's like, yo, can you help me out with like this issue? And then I go to their profile and it's like, hey, we do cold email for marketing agencies. Like, so you're asking me for free advice. And you're running the same exact business model to the same audience. Like, I, I'm always somebody like, yeah, provide value when you can. Like, good karma, it's going to come back to you. But there's no incentive 
if you know going back to your original question if you're trying to connect and you know get in this circle like there's no value for you yeah. know us and just you know giving you free advice if you're just trying to copy exactly what we're doing right like you you're much better off showing up and being a person of value to that person i think i mean you can look at this a couple of ways right you you can say this person is either clueless or completely lacks tack yeah or you could say this person is kind of testing me and maybe is a prospect for my mastermind or for my agency or for my so I've I've picked fights a few times on Twitter. I've always regretted picking fights. I've looked at people um, in a cynical eye, and then I've, I I I try not to, and I think that's the right vibe. But I will say, and we were talking about that offline. Some people just they're not great in social situations, right? Whether it's a DM, whether it's an event, whatever it is. And I think the best thing you can do is have a bit of compassion for them and say, hey, bro, like that situation, I might say like, bro, you're expecting me who does ABC to help you do ABC so that people buy from you and not from me. Is that, is that your question? Like I would, (laughs) I would flip it on them that way. Right. And maybe they don't even realize or they'll tell you, well, actually it's because I'm thinking about the mastermind. Yeah. For me personally, typically the people that ask that kind of question are not at the level that we're at or not trying to be egotistical, but it would be very, very hard for them to reach that level that we're at without years of consistency and and work. So I always tend to give the free advice, but the way I frame the advice is not like specifically answering the DM with the question. I'm going to say, hey, dude, look, Andre and I have a ton of threads, a ton of Twitter content in the world that talks about this exact thing. Yes. I'm not going to give you the answer straight up, but I'm going to say, go look at our Twitter accounts. Um, go... Twitter advanced search like keywords from our accounts and you will find plenty of threads and content on this exact topic that will show you how to solve it on your own. So no, I'm not going to give you the answer, but if you're willing to put in the 30 minutes of research and read a thread on it, you can find the answer right there. So I feel like that's a good balance. I, I respect that and, a lot. And uh, a quick, uh, you're saying like providing value in a uh, similar route, like uh, if someone's selling courses, for example, finding a way to help people solve a different problem. That dude Ayub on Twitter is like the best example I've ever seen of it. This kid Ayub, instead of like helping people sell online courses, his offer is deleting pirated courses I, I, I saw from that Twitter. That's smart. So that is he's a smarter man than I am, right? I never would have thought of that. Yeah. And that's what a good way to build a relationship with people who own offers mm-hmm. and then to offer them another service. But right? it's, that, a, it's like the perfect example of complementary offers, right? Like instead of selling his own yeah. course, he just picked a way to help existing course creators. Um, he gave value to them in such a unique way that no one's ever seen before. So he's going to naturally get a ton of clients. It's, it, and, and, and again, for, furthermore, right? I think his game is probably not that offer. Yeah. The game is to get the right people to follow him, yeah. to engage with those people, to build a relationship, and then to do something else. Yeah, and you show up, you do a good job, then the next offer you roll out, you already have those people as yeah. like personal friends and previous clients that trust you. So you have that goodwill 100%. where like, let's say, you know, he did that for Daniel and cold email mastery. Like next time he rolls out an offer, Daniel is 100 times more inclined to trust him and be like, oh, okay, yeah, let's test it out. I want to pivot quick because I feel like we've been talking about high level stuff. I want to talk to you about like right now, what is, what is your offer? What are you helping people do? What is your, your game? I guess I could say. I help offer owners scale their offer. Um, I do 
different things for different people, which is a really good way to have a bad elevator pitch. Uh, <laughs> by the way, this is how you know, don't do it. Um, one of two things. Either you have an existing offer, I'll make it better. For example, you have a course, I'll turn it into a coaching program. Um, or you have an existing business, you're not necessarily the best operator or the best marketer, and I will JV with you and scale your business. Got it. So you're like a growth partner for course creators. Very solid. Okay, yeah, because I feel like I've followed you for so long, and I've never known exactly what your offer is, so that's really cool. Um, talk about how you've leveraged Twitter relationships, posting content to sign clients. Like, did the majority of your clients come from organic inbound, word of mouth? Is it a ton of outbound? Like, what's the... 100% inbound. So okay. un this is where we're different. I have literally never done outbound in my entire life. Uh, as an as an entrepreneur, well. um, I have so I'll, I'll save you my my corporate stuff. But everything I have done has been inbound. So everything is from from Twitter or someone says, "Hey, talk to this guy." Um, I never cold DM. I never cold email. Literally never. I'm not just like I do not do that ever. Props to you. So what can someone do to become a figure with enough authority to have people start reaching out to you for for a service? That's one of those questions that's that's hard, right? I mean, I think the obvious answer is just be good at what you do. Be be so it's both competence and being able to communicate that competence mm -hmm. in a relatively skillful way. Um, the day that I decided to okay, I want to have a decent follower count. I mean, there's jokes about me like I tweeted the most out of anyone, right? Sometimes, just literally, you once you have something to say overwhelm the algorithm with that thing and say it in different ways, engage with all the right people. There, there's no, there's no secret, right? Yeah. You, maybe the, the podcast title would be the six secrets to do that. But the, <laughs> the, the reality is to build an inbound channel, there's really no big secrets. Um, you Just can, work. That, that's it. And um, you know, Horm Hormozy, who everyone knows and likes will, will say, well, do stuff quietly and then talk about it after you've been successful. Right. That's, that's kind of the best way. Um, if you can't do that, then the second best way would be demonstrate what you could do, right? Be very clear about what you could do, have a very tight offer, and talk about it constantly. Yeah, the work, the work just works. I, I'll tell you, you know, you, you talked about like going very precise, right? If, yeah. if I'm honest with myself and the audience, what is my next leap of growth is doing more boring things. It's literally that. It's yep. doing more boring things more consistently. And um, I have been fortunate to build a nice business for myself. My wife is my business partner. We have, we have a team. We have a great lifestyle. Um, I'm not very money motivated. I'm not not money motivated, but it's not like yeah. I don't care about cars and watches. I, I, I generally don't. Yeah. It's like better real estate would be a motivator yep. and just ultimate freedom, right? Like that's, so like, I don't care about another 50K per month. Like what would really change my life is like another million per month. That would change my life, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, because then you can fly private anytime you want, anywhere you want. That's the next kind of right, thing. I want to dive deeper into that dynamic. So you and your wife, business partners, yes, you work together. Yes, that's a good topic. I want to hear more about that because I feel like the obvious one is Alex and Layla Hormozy. They're a, we uh, we oh. told him how to do it. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he taught. Yeah, them. but just break it down because 
I mean, I, I'm obviously none of us are married. Like, talk to us about yeah, how sure. you manage a work relationship with the person you're married to and kind of balancing that. It's a good question, too, because everyone, like, I feel like when we're younger, like, the thought process is, like, having a, a partner is a distraction. Like, chasing girls yeah. is a distraction. Well, so those are two different things, right? Chasing girls and having a partner are two very different <laughs> yeah, things. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah definitely, and definitely. I have done my my share of, of each in my in my life. Um, so what happened with us was I was doing things on my own. And what I happened to be not so good at, which is broadly defined project management, my wife is a project manager. So it was a pretty natural fit. I'd love to tell you I went on 50 Bumble dates and I found the right <laughs> girl, right? Um, that's not what I did. Like, like you said, this man doesn't do outbound. It's purely uh, inbound. That's, it's, that's just a, it's, it's a clean fit. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's good. That's very good. Um, I was doing things and I... I asked my wife for help in one particular thing. She, like, just, again, broadly defined project management. And then the way she solved the problem wasn't to do what I asked. She was like, can I just build a, an actual system for you? And, of course, I said, yes, please. And she did. It was, the thing I really remember is this very fancy Airtable setup that it was a, it was a book, book a call funnel. And just, it, I made it work. She really made it work. Right, just things were clean and done and organized. Like my my Zapier versus her Zapier Abilities. is just much better. If you look at yeah. the my crazy zaps and her zaps are all clean, they're all organized. Um so I happen to have the right person. I pers if you want my opinion on that topic, you need to live your life as a young person. You don't want to have regrets, but that does get old. Everyone says this, and it's true. Um, when you have someone who could be a good partner, either partner in energy or partner in business, that's valuable. You're not going to get... When, when you're 22, 23, 24, you think you're going to meet infinite number of people you're compatible with, and you're, you're not. I'll tell you, you're, you're not. So when you have one, it's assess, yeah, yeah. assess it more seriously. I, I feel like you hit... I don't want to say the jackpot, but like you have someone you're compatible with and you work well in business together. That's just like the, the ultimate scenario. I feel like it's my, my wife likes to joke. I'm bomb at planning, meaning I'm terrible at planning and just stuff just kind of happens. <laughs> so in, yeah, in my case, it's not easy, right? Like you, if you live with someone, you work with someone, you work where you live and, and you're both passionate about what you're doing. It's, it's not necessarily easy yeah. But trust is so fundamental in, in business, right? If you can, yeah, if you can find that person, and um, for for me, everything that is fulfillment, I just don't have to think about, right? Like right. I'm a sales and marketing guy. Once I do think about customer experience and how I want to design it, but like actually it being done, my wife and her team do it, and I I don't have to think about it. So how do you manage? How do you balance like a business relationship with a marriage? Um, we. We block certain times for just no, no work talk. Like we walk together every morning. Uh, the the very cliche, literally walk on the beach every morning. Don't talk about business and date night. That's it. It's you know, a lot of things. There's no there's no secret. It's just difficult to consistently do it. I'm the one who's always like, what about? And she's like, mm -mm, we we're, <laughs> we're we're doing our. And did you guys start working together like after you yeah, were you after. were married? We'd been married for a couple of years already. Okay. 
Yeah, that's super interesting because Layla and Alex are obviously a great example of like being very compatible life and business partners. To so to right. be able to find that, like, did you see an immediate like uptick in business? For sure, for sure. I mean, if if you think right, you I don't know if you guys have ever done solo. Like, I think solopreneurship is generally not good as a general thing. Yeah. Um. Well, it's like an, it's just glorified freelancing. That, exactly. It's a really great rebrand of freelancing. General rule. There's, there's exceptions, but generally speaking, you will be more effective with a partner or a team or both. I challenge anyone to say, hey, I'm really good at the sales and marketing function. I'm really good at operations, and I'm really good at people management. Am I good at all those things? Maybe there are people. I'm not good at all those things. Even, even if you are good at all of them? Doing them all at the same time, you're going to be mediocre at everyone. Like, even if you have the capability to be an elite operator and also an elite salesman, by having to do both, yeah. you're going to end up watering down your own skill set to just being okay at both. I, I agree completely. And I also think, like, the way I look at business, I've never done solopreneurship. I can't imagine it would be nearly as fun and enjoyable. Like, I feel like the reason I like building multiple companies with these guys at the same time is it feels like it feels like a team sport. Where like the monthly revenue yeah. is kind of the scoreboard, and, <laughs> and like when you you know when you fuck up, you have people to share the fuck ups with. When you have wins, you have people to celebrate yeah. them with. It's just more enjoyable. If, it's like me. if we have a huge week, like say we close a couple of deals on a Friday, we'll just get the the drinks flowing and just <laughs> go out and celebrate it. Like we're young guys, and it's it's of just a lot of fun. The other thing is just energy cycles. If you are in business long enough and you're honest with yourself and the world, right, you're, you're not always at peak performance levels for a number of reasons. And if you're doing everything yourself, sometimes you're not at peak energy cycles, right? And you're kind of in maintenance mode, but if you have no other fallbacks, um, it's difficult to just be always on, right? Just always on. So it, it's, it's just, yeah, it's more fun and more prudent. And the accountability yeah. side of it too. The, for, for sure. Like for these sure. guys, we all work in the same apartment and there's obviously times where I'm like, oh, it's really nice out. Let me go to the beach or go play basketball. But these guys are working, so I'm working. It's the same. It's just uh, holding yourself accountable is easier because these guys are working and then holding each other accountable is easy because we're all working on the same thing. Right. I think, I mean, that's why if you think of why do people go to co-working spaces or coffee shops and why do some entrepreneurs like Elon insist on in-person? It's, that's it. It's, it, it gets... Either lonely or lack of accountability if you're really yeah. by, by yourself. Maybe there's some great artists, geniuses, or coders that do stuff in their own room, and there are. But I think, yeah, the kind of sales marketing bros, if that's how we define ourselves, I feel like <laughs> we're, we're better with a brotherhood, right? Or with a, with yeah. a team or with a... Yeah, like that's my long-term goal because I manage a sales team. Like I do sales calls at Knowledgex. I have one person there. And then let's get Unicorn Connect. I split calls there. Client Ascension, I have a team of four people right now, four closers. And like, that's my dream. Like going forward is to somehow have enough people in the same space and have like an office with like a big gong that every time, you know, somebody yeah, closed, like I want that, that atmosphere. But yeah, I agreed hundred percent. No, like in, in, I've had, I oscillate between that and not. Cause I, I have had the good fortune of designing a really cool lifestyle where no, no, no task or no thing is really that time bound. So I don't really work usually until nine or nine thirty. Like we we walk, we get sun, we do stuff, and everything is on my calendar. So I feel like that's that to me that's wealth, right? Yeah. 
But I can also see the flip side of it's really cool. Like I was a sales manager for a long time and in an office and I had a, I didn't have a gong. Real talk, <laughs> didn't have a gong. But I did have a whiteboard. I did throw candy bars at people when they did, they made something good happen or buy pizza or whatever. And the, and the cool thing is, like, now since everybody's so used to remote work, is it doesn't have to exactly be that. You can kind of yeah. curate those experiences digitally now, which is cool, which is, like, what we try to do. Like, we have, like, a very competitive atmosphere, I'd say, with the sales team. We're always joking around and, like, running, like, these little, like, weekly or monthly spiffs and whatnot. So it doesn't have to be the gong. That's more of, like, a metaphor. But uh, I, I just like that competitive atmosphere. If we're can I hear more about that? Actually, because that that's yeah, managing a remote team is, I would argue, a lot more difficult than an in-person team. Yeah. So how do you do the culture piece? Yeah. So I'd say the number one thing there uh, is just having everybody work towards a common goal, where we set very clear expectations about, hey, this is what the close rate should be. This is what the offer rate should be. If you have any issues here, like we're all a team. A rising tide lifts all boats. So the first thing, in my opinion, is just transparency where we have like this leaderboard where at every given, any given time you could see the team stats in terms of, hey, this is the show rate, offer rate, close rate, this is how many calls we had scheduled. And you could see the individual stats. So you could see, okay, like, yeah. you know, at any time, like I can be salesperson A and I can look at salesperson B and knowing if I'm doing better or doing worse. So that's the one thing there. The second thing is like we always have a monthly competition, whether it's, you know, $500 to like Starbucks or, you know, new AirPods, whatever it is, there's always some type of leaderboard where every week I'm going in and I'm posting like this person has this, this person has this, this person has that. And I'm also just like adding like jokes in the copy. Like, you know, is is Jay finally going to get caught or the rest of you guys just fucking sleepwalking through this month? But it's also just fun. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. But that's uh, in terms of like functionally how to break it up. There's like that team leaderboard. There's constant communication all in one channel with not only the closers, but also the setter. So they can have that good feedback loop to know how things are actually okay. going. And then just having like regular meetings where once a week, like all these guys, uh, like the common feedback that I've gotten is, hey, like this is my favorite call of the week. Because the first, you know, 10, 15 minutes. That, that's something. Is shooting the shit, right? Like it's, it's making jokes and whatnot. Yeah. And like, I don't know, you know, just, so, somebody comes to a call and, you know, they're looking a little bit down, just like talking to them about their personal life. And just I, I feel like just getting to know people and treating it as a team. As opposed to like, hey, these are like these, you know, individual mercenaries that are all trying to like have the best month. Right. Is really the key there. Yeah. Just to butt in quick, Andre, I want I want you to talk about how like automations play into the gamification of it. Because in our Slack channel, we'll get a zap notification when a close comes in or like a payment comes sure. in. Yeah. And like the zap comes in and says sale and it'll say who closed it. And everyone will get really hyped and send voice notes. Like, so I want Andre to just kind of explain how the the automations play into it. kind of just it. did. Yeah, but like you, <laughs> <laughs> you kind of just did. I think what's even more important though is like all this is great systems, frameworks, automations, weekly meetings, communication, leaderboards, but you have to find the right people. Like 100%. You have to create I think the culture piece is is all about the person rather than the the systems that you kind of put them into cuz the culture that I think we've done a really good job of creating and you could probably speak to this as well cuz you work with your wife is like feeling comfortable to be yourself like if you look at our sales channel in slack from an outsider's perspective it's like what the fuck are they talking about like everyone is just saying Dragon. like <laughs> vulgar shit making references that we all understand and like the creating an environment where people can be themselves i think is so so important that that's that's big and if you think of that's actually very deep because so much of our working lives is, is fake, right? 100%. I don't know how, 
How many of you guys did you, did you guys ever work corporate a little bit or no? No, no. I worked at a respect. The, my closest respect. thing was like a startup, but I felt the same way. Like I was not being myself in front of my employees. And, and so even a startup. What about you? Same company as him, actually. Okay. So we worked at uh, basically a call center. Okay. So, so doing cold calls and whatnot. So I grew up in call center, so we can talk about that if you yeah. if you want. But those those of you watching, right, who are working for a living, and if you so much of it is phony, right? Oh yeah. From the interview process, people ask you, why do you want to work here, right? And I mean, 98% of the time, it's because you're hiring, right? <laughs> and you pay me money, and money buys me food and a house. And inside the organization, most of the time, there's, you know, politics and just a lot of BS, right? Not always. So I think what attracts people to startups usually is that is you don't there's no mask. Yeah. You can you can be maybe not your literally your full self of you know wearing pajamas to, to work, but yeah, you're you're not putting on a an intellectual or personality mask. Which is yeah. which is draining, right? I think what what is burnout, right? It's doing something that's not a good fit energy wise. Yeah, yeah, it's like not aligned with who you really are. Yeah, yeah. And I felt like like you talked about way earlier in the podcast like what was like the transition from a nine to five to being an entrepreneur like i know for me it was like exhaustion not from doing work i wasn't passionate about but just not being in alignment with who i feel i am and as soon yeah. as like the thing that money twitter does so well in like the companies and in the people and the brands in the community is like it again creates an environment where we can be ourselves like we could put out tweets that yeah. we wouldn't otherwise say in a corporate setting and and that gives energy rather yeah. than takes away yep. yeah and i think that's such such a good point about just burnout not being related to how much work you're doing but you know kind of the atmosphere and what you're doing it in like people will kind of roll their eyes i'd imagine when some people on twitter are like yeah i just banged out like a 12-hour day but i see that and i'm like okay if you're working on your own thing that's completely reasonable like we do that all the time and when i did you know when i when we were working at that job we would work like four hour shifts it was like you know 20 hours a week i feel exhausted versus like my only job or i guess this was kind of job beforehand was my brother who's a mason i would work with him and you know lay bricks put up stone walls stuff like that but since it was you know just me and my brother just hanging out like i could work like 10 hours physical labor and be like way less exhausted so that energy component Yep. Is, is, is really important. I feel like it doesn't get talked about a lot. Yeah, it's like uh, Jay, one of our closers, closed like two deals in a day. I'm like, dude, you're on a roll. Give me a sports pick because I bet. And I put in the bet and it lost. I'm like, dude, your, your pick fucking sucked. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. But it's just like the, the culture of it is just so cool. Another thing is like we all had our client ascension event, obviously, it was in person here. And the whole team, a lot of our students, a lot of our community was in person. And we were doing like Sparkman Wharf meetups, which is like a cool kind of outside bar space. And all the like, all the team was together, and it wasn't like, it wasn't weird or awkward at all. We just all feel like we know each other on a personal level. We all get along, and it's like I could outs if if our business ceased to exist right now, I could still sit here and hang out with you guys and be friends with you. That kind of deal. That that's that's powerful. Yeah. That's really powerful. Just just one word is energy, right? Like, do you want to put your energy on that uh, on that particular thing? And some of it is is objective, and some of it is. Can you see this being scaled up or being multiplied or having you know equity and stuff when it, when it's your thing or at least some kind of commission 
um, reward, right? To, I don't know about you guys, but for, for me, yeah, if, you're, if you're telling me, let's say I was writing copy, but in a job where there's no royalties, no, you're, you're writing copy all day, I think, I'm not sure how motivated I'd be. Yeah. And on the topic of energy, this is kind of like a pivot, and this might also put our YouTube algorithm through a, through a spiral, uh, talking about oh the, the topic of COVID. Um, you, made a, you made a big transition in your life that really like speaks to the freedom lifestyle that you talk about, which was moving from Canada to Florida. So kind of talk about how that decision process was made and, and how that was, I'd imagine, like an energy decision, right? That's a really good way to put it. So uh, the short of it is just over a year ago, um, I moved from Canada to Florida. The main reason why I did it wasn't weather, although weather is a nice benefit. It was freedom, right? In many places that are not Florida, both in the U.S. and in Canada, um, it really feels like freedom is under attack and that you as an individual are expected to do certain things or not do certain things. And what was really powerful for me is that had all the stuff that happened happened a couple of years earlier, maybe three years earlier, I would have been an stuck. employee. You're stuck. And I would have been stuck. Yep. And not that I hope for this to happen again and I have many ideas on what may happen again. I don't think that's the topic of this podcast. But now it makes me feel that whatever the next thing is, like I don't have to be here. I don't have to go back there. And that's really um, not, not feeling trapped, right? Like from a lifestyle design perspective, yep from a schedule perspective and then really from a geopolitical perspective. I think independently of all the stuff going on in COVID, it's just like the lifestyle of, I have friends from college that I'm obviously still friends with. I'm not like cutting off my friends because I'm in online business now, but we all plan like meetups every summer. Like we'll go to the beach in Delaware or like New Jersey. And we're always like trying to plan a weekend and my friends are like, oh, I can't get time off. I can't get time off. And to me, that just blows my mind that you don't have the independence of choosing a weekend to go and hang out with your friends because you have to work. Like for me, it's like, I'll give me a weekend. I'll be there. Yeah, we're usually pretty lenient with giving Christian weeks off. <laughs> <laughs> I took one week off in Cancun in like March, and these guys don't let me off the hook for it. But, but yeah, just talk about. I mean, I, I guess yeah. I'm already talking about it, but just the the pure independence and the the mindset switch of I can do, you know, not whatever you want, but you have the freedom to tomorrow pack up and go to Costa Rica for a month and work from there. I mean, to to me. I'm trying to think of who said that quote, right? But like, what, what is money? Money is a tool and what is being rich or wealthy is if your bank account balance doubled tomorrow, would your life change? If the answer is yes, you don't have enough money, mm. right? And same thing for kind of freedom and lifestyle design is if you have to... Hey, okay, I get even like a trend that, that I don't know if it's still really going on now, but unlimited PTO, right? In yeah. in some startups. But the people that I know tell me in reality, that's not really the case, right? It's a whole dance. You have to figure out who's going to do what you would have done. And there's kind of a leaderboard or scoreboard of 
who's been gone for how long, so you don't really have it. Yeah, I've been in a lot of cases. There's actually yeah, what does less even mean? PTO taken what in those environments because it creates a culture of like, oh, you're leaving Guilt. the rest of us with you a feel bag. Guilty. Yeah, you feel guilty. You can't enjoy the time off. And, and as an employer, what they do is if they terminate you, they don't have to pay you out what was accrued. So that it's like, why do you think they're doing it, right? I mean, I, I am a conspiracy theorist, for those of you who don't know. And <laughs> All it, of us are too. It, so it, if okay, you just break okay. down why is the government doing X or why is a big company doing Y, it's because they win, right? Like it's whatever, however you deconstruct it. So it's in their best interest. It, that, that's yeah. it. So to go back to your is when you work for yourself, you can design things that are in your best interest, right? And for some of you that might be to get a certain car, for some of you that might be to go to a certain place or to live a certain way, but to have the opportunity to design the incentives in your life. Like I was saying before, straight up for me, it's not that I'm missing knowledge or capability today. It's more grit about doing more boring things. That's right. my next level. And I'm, I know this and it's a choice if I do it or not. Right. Yeah. So interesting question, going back to like freedom being under attack in a lot of places and this, I don't have the answer to either. But aside from, you know, moving to a place, you know, like Florida with, with more freedoms in general and yeah. doing the right things personally to design your life around having that independence, is there anything people can do like at like a macro level to kind of fight against that? I'm giving you the, the eyebrows. <laughs> I'm going to be real with you. I'm waiting for a green card, so I don't really want to say what I'm thinking. <laughs> Fair enough. We'll talk off camera. Uh, no, I, I mean, if you just think, gen what is societal change, right? Um, and what are some examples in, in history where there was massive societal change? You need a charismatic leader and you need the right message, right? It's like marketing, right? It's audience, offer, messaging. So... The challenge today is it is my opinion and my perspective that distribution is not neutral, right? So the distribution channels yeah. are, in theory, supposed to be piped to, tr to transmit information and be neutral in reality. And it's very topical with, with Elon and, and Twitter. So that's the biggest difference between um, today and, let's say, 20 years ago or 30 years ago. There probably are charismatic leaders yeah. that would advocate for things that we would agree with. It's pretty hard to think there isn't some manipulation as far as reach in that message. Okay. Right. So, if I'm trying to if I'm trying to give you an honest answer, it's yeah. you need alternative media, right? That's what Rumble is trying to do. That may or may not be what Twitter uh, is trying to do with with Elon, because. The mainstream, like, if, let's just take MLK as an example, right? MLK stuff, I, I'm not a deep student of history, but his movement was known, right? was talked about, and if you were for that cause, you would have awareness of that cause. Yeah. Whereas when people talk about COVID, people say, oh, X or Y happened because of COVID. But the reality is it's, our reaction to COVID as a society led to these outcomes, right. but the alternative, the alternative reaction or reactions are never presented as opportunities, right? Mm. No one is debating 
what could have been done. No, no one serious with mainstream appeal is debating what could have been done differently or better. And so, we, again, big topic, but yeah. I think it's an extraordinarily difficult time to affect change on a large scale if it goes against the narrative. So you can, yeah. you can save yourself, you can save your family, you can save your friends. Can you really save society? I hope so, but I don't know. Yeah, I think, like, to kind of simple answer to the question is, like, you kind of just have to wake up to it, right? Like, you just have to have the self-awareness to know, like, what's happening. <laughs> and uh, yeah. not a lot of people have that. Or maybe they're scared to uh, see it, right? It's in front of them, but they're scared to dive into that uh, possibility. So, yeah, kind of like the answer I got out of that is you can do it for yourself. And then I think the next natural step, which you're doing well, is educating people on how to do that for themselves and hope that enough people, these, you know, niche micro Twitter celebrities, uh, continue to grow. And that, that kind of becomes the narrative, I guess, in a way, you know, just, just making people yeah. aware to the fact that it is possible if you're fed that, up with X, Y, Z. You know, I'm, I'm getting, getting older, right? I'm thinking about starting a family and you think, what is a good parent? And it's, it's emulating, it's being that light, right? You can create all these rules, but if you're not being the person you want your children to be, they won't be. So in a sense that you just have to be the person that you want other people to be able to emulate. And a lot of that starts with independence of um, income. That allows you for independent thinking, right? And then independent action thinking. But if you're whoever's quote it is, right? It's very hard to convince someone uh, that something is wrong or not true if their salary depends on it, mm. right? And so much of the world is engineered in that sense. Yeah. Right? Side note, didn't you end up on Zuby's podcast? I had a more... <laughs> this discussion on Zuby's podcast. Yeah, I, last I watched that as like yeah. pre-podcast research and I thought it was super interesting. And so I wanted to get some of that on here. Uh, kind of like in line with the whole conversation about freedom and making decisions that are in your own uh, like self-interest. And then also like tailoring this off of being an employee, not being able to turn off unless you get fired. Like what I'm trying to get at here is like on Twitter, right? You started on Twitter and you went through phases where uh, you like recently, I'm pretty sure and correct me if I'm wrong, like you kind of took a break from Twitter. I definitely did. And so can you talk about like what in what went into the decision making process there? And I think it's just so cool. Like being an entrepreneurship, you don't always have to be on. So you're giving me more credit than I deserve in, in design and, and planning. <laughs> um, I am not really a man of moderation. If I do something, I'll, I'll tend to do a lot of it or at least in like Twitter is really addictive. Let's be real. Yeah. And so if I do it, I tend to do it a lot, treat it like a game, like a scoreboard, like whatever. Right. And Sometimes I, and so I've, I think I've taken two, if not three breaks. I'll just decide, okay, I, it's too much. And rather than try to moderate, like I'm a straight from the hip tweeter, right? I, I don't write things in advance. I don't use any of the apps or the, I have a, I, I re retweet stuff or I retweet stuff, but I don't like, I don't have a content strategy for my account. I just, whatever I want to, I, I have content pillars in my head and I just tweet them out and which is really fun when you're doing it. But if you get really um, 
intense about it. Sometimes taking a break is better. And the one, I guess to your question, because I am not a guru in a sense, I don't have an offer under my own name. I run other people's offers. My own distribution channel doesn't really matter that much. I am not always looking to grow. Like, let's say I have five offers, right? That I'm working on. I might be working on scaling two of those five offers and three are kind of in maintenance mode. I may or may not be looking for it. Like right now, I don't really want a new partner or new client. I'm doing stuff with my, so the way my business is designed, I don't have, I could stop tweeting forever and I'd be totally fine. Interesting. That's interesting to me because you said that the majority of your, your business has been inbound word of mouth from Twitter. That's how it came. Okay. But now I, I have, I have the real thing is I have people that want to work with me. I would like to tell you I have a fancy system with a wait list. I have an informal wait list. I have people that want to work with me that I can activate when I want. Got it. And so if I literally never, ever tweeted ever again, it probably would not be a wise decision. But, you know, broadly speaking, I made more money in the last six months where I didn't tweet than the previous six months where I did tweet. So wow. Wow. why do you think that is? Because I wasn't tweeting and I was making focus. Money. You're just <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say you, you were down. just you were just focusing on growing. The yeah, I was gro- I was growing with. business in, businesses directly instead of indirectly tweeting to do it right. Like, so you were asking before, like what what can people do? So I have the good the good fortune of things are working well in my favor without hyper precise planning or being hyper deliberate hmm. i'm sounds kind of douchey but i'm kind of a, nat- a natural right same thing on a, like on a sales call on a i can tell you all the frameworks but i just sales and marketing is just like in my blood right like i know what i need to do broadly and i tend to rebel against my own structure so i just if i just do what my vibes and intuition tell me it works Probably it wouldn't work if I had a twenty million dollar organization, but for for what I you know for what I have, it works great. Uh, go on. Yeah, I want to get into more of like the the strategies that you use to grow offers because a lot of people in the audience are uh, they're business owners. They either have a coaching program, they have yeah. a marketing agency, they're trying to start a SaaS. Any sort of online business, it sounds like you have done a really good job with your clients to help grow and scale that offer. Without giving away the keys to the kingdom, what are some like simple surface level things people could take away from that? Well, so for more context, so I only do right now B2C. So it's a little bit different than I think many people in D. So very, very big difference, right? Between B2B and B2C. And most of my offers are in health. So it's a very different niche. And... I'd love to give you like, hey, here's like one quick kind of insight. And one thing I tweeted just this morning. So there's like, obviously having a good offer, but one layer above that is audience and guru fit, right? So like you have product market fit or offer market fit, but you also have to have guru market fit. So how do you match the right offer to the guru? Like, if you let okay, I'm gonna try to give you a specific example. So if you say, okay, give me a guru, a, a guru defined as some, let's say someone with twenty or thirty thousand followers, right? Say, okay, 
who are those followers, right? Sometimes people are making a lot of assumptions about who is following them and what they want and what they need. So some of that is some of the deliberate things that I do is really research based and testing based on some of it is surveying formally. Some of it is surveying informally. Some of it is split testing different type of content. So who am I actually able to reach? What are their actual problems? And then what have they tried, right? If you think of frameworks like the levels of awareness, market sophistication, and you know, I, I apply these things in a specific thing, in a specific context, and come up with something just new and different, right? It's not necessarily revolutionary or dramatically better. Like in, in health and weight loss, for example, right? Every diet works. Whether it's keto, paleo, Whole30, counting calories, I can give you the outcome that you want with any of 20 different methods. It's what does your audience want and need to hear to be able to facilitate that personal change? Yeah. So it's all kinds of thinking and work towards there to craft something that's just a little bit unique and different, but that fits that particular market. The assumption here is, again, it's also inbound for those people and occasionally run ads, but mainly it's I'll monetize through social and through um, email. So you have an audience, let's monetize that audience and let's grow that audience so that we can keep having a full pipeline. That's super interesting. Uh, it's really the, the, the framework of it all is just really understanding your audience and who you're trying yeah. to sell to and then delivering a message that speaks to their current pain points, wants, desires, needs, and things that they've tried in the past, which I think is super cool. I have another tactical question, I guess, like in regards to content posting. Again, a lot of people listening to this are uh, probably putting out content on the internet in hopes of you know, getting their customers to take a certain action or uh, convert into a sale. And one thing that you, you speak to a lot is like the sheer volume of content yeah. you put out. Like, does that ever become a problem? Like, is too much content? Like, is there such thing as too much content? Objectively speaking, I don't think so. But if you say what is required to put out that content, mm. right? So, yeah. yes, in practice, if you could... Th there's a story about Gary Vee, right? Which is yeah. basically... It's not that the advice isn't good. It's that you have to realize that he's got like eight assistants and interns slicing and dicing content, posting, filming him. So you can't really copy Gary Vee's strategy as a solopreneur or a two-person business for very long. You can do it for a short time, but if you want to keep your sanity and your hairline, you will not be able to <laughs> do that, right? Like you'll drive yourself absolutely crazy. But if you can find a way to have a lot of volume. Um, yeah, I think that's, I mean, if you think of, okay, oh, hypothetical example, right? So I'm a, an aspiring guru or B2B provider. You need a lot of volume to see what people resonate with. If you say, okay, I have, I'm just going to invent 10 broad content pillars and I'm going to produce a certain amount of content in each category and I'm going to hold all the other variables equal. Let's say the time at which you post, the format at which you post, the distribution channel, so Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn, whatever, right? And then you can find, okay, P 
people relate more to these content pillars, right? And then you can narrow down to those. And then you can have, again, a lot of volume in those specific things. Yeah. And then you ideally, you don't always get there, but you ideally get to almost like a catchphrase or a tagline. Like J.K. Molina's likes and cash is brilliant, right? Yeah. So he's done so much stuff over two or three years. And the the sum of everything is that, yeah. right? That's really elegant. Of So that would be something to, to model as a, I want to get there, but to get to that clean tagline or positioning, it took a lot of testing, testing and content. <laughs> and, you know, I described something relatively systematic. And if you're a... A more organized person, you can do that, but you can also just kind of just freestyle a lot of volume. Some like some stuff I've done in my life, in my business is I will analyze what I did or what my client did or my partner did, and then in hindsight I'll say, oh, those were the pillars, right? It wasn't like we sat down and designed eight pillars. It was like, okay, I will export all of their past tweets and then see what resonated and then categorize them afterwards, right? Like, yeah. it's almost like being a detective. Like, what, like, which one's the murderer in here, right? Okay, it's this column of, like, sometimes it might be the inspirational stuff. Sometimes it might be the, actional, the actionable stuff. Sometimes it might be the polarizing stuff. And you have to then see, okay, it resonates, but does it sell or does it yeah, attract yeah. the right people, right? I was going to say, like, the tweets that perform the best with vanity metrics, with likes and stuff, are things that intro beginner-level people can relate to. That, that's, that's very but true. But then the tweets that get the least amount of engagement in terms of likes are the ones that the heavy hitters relate to that actually moves the needle that, for a business. Yeah, like, there's... Um, so, like, Dennis Damori yesterday tweeted something, which was, hey, he's, his, an, a new offer of his of, I will create your product or your offer for you right so i if it was like something like if you know what private what private labeling means uh we'll partner together and we'll make uh i'll make this and like zero likes right and he tweeted afterwards of course no one and it's funny because how many people know what that means yeah and and even if you know what that means are you at the point in your business and life where okay it would make sense like let, let's say for my personal twitter i don't have an offer under my name right it, theoretically, it could make sense for me to say, hey, let me build a different sales team. Like, I'll just be the guru in the face and I'll do nothing with it. I'm not doing that for the record, but it could make sense, right? So if someone came to me with that offer, but it's such a specific thing because you have a big enough audience. So to your point, that is probably too niche but then there's stuff like drink water, right? So like, what is kind of the in between <laughs> stuff yeah. that uh, I tweeted that yesterday? Drink more water. <laughs> you, which thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, it was honestly just I I was like working uh, like all afternoon and I just realized like I haven't drank water and so I just tweeted it for myself. <laughs> thank I, you for your service. It's veteran. It's veteran's day. I think another mistake <laughs> that people make is thinking that every time they per, like put out content, it has to be a new input. And what I mean by that is. I've written threads. I used to go straight for Andre's Twitter a lot. And I've written threads, written blog posts. That's why quality went down. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) No, but what I was trying to say is you can... We up. So the way I like to look at content is you can write one big piece of content, a thread about cold email. 
that thread can be repurposed into oh, of course. 10 different um, individual tweets. It can be made into a YouTube video. It can be mentioned on a podcast. And then the thing that people miss is the same thread that went popped off can be reformatted into a similar thread with a different hook. Of course, 100%. And it's just a brand new thread. And it's like my original input for the original thread was like an hour of work. The new thread took me five minutes because I'm just repurposing the same content that I've already put out. And that's what a lot of people miss, I feel like. There is so much unnecessary pressure that we put on ourselves, uh, myself included, sometimes. And you know, you're sometimes like, oh, I haven't tweeted today, right? Like, it's like one o'clock, I haven't tweeted today. And then you're like sitting there and I'm like, you're like not feeling anything. You're like, hmm. I know for a fact that I have something I could take and remix. And sometimes it's a hundred times better, right? Like, your first reflex is to go and say, okay, what really, what really got a lot of reach? And do that again. But if you go back to something that had like whatever is proportional to your account, right? Like let's say 0.1% of your followers liked it or whatever, right? Maybe for your account, it's 10 likes, maybe it's 50 likes, whatever. You take that one and then you say, especially I'll tell you for me, candidly, I tweet from the hip. I've said that before. I don't reread. I'll just tweet just like stream of consciousness, right? And then you're like, okay, if I actually take this and sit down for two minutes, can I word this better, mm. Right. If I'm doing someone's offer, I'll be more of a perfectionist for my own tweets. I'm not at all a perfectionist, like at all. And many people are either too perfectionist and don't produce enough, or they're just not naturally that good. The content is not that good. But if you take two more minutes, you remix the old piece, that might become something that you become known for, yep. right? So it's not that hard to produce a lot of content. And I'm going to add one thing that maybe is your next question is about consumption, right? The biggest lie is you need to produce more than you consume. If you're uh, an influencer or a con th that is the dumbest thing. If you sit down and think about we it, just talked about seconds. this with Daniel, <laughs> right? Yeah, da Daniel was saying like direct proportion. So, and I, I don't think that's possible. Either. So no, no. Um, what people are trying to give you advice for is, Use the information you consume, which is the correct advice, right? Yeah. And your information diet is really important and powerful. If you're actively trying to grow in your life or in your business, separate from the like relaxation category, right? Like I'll read fiction to relax, but if you're consuming things deliberately, then they should serve a purpose. But it doesn't make sense to say, hey, if I am reading for two hours a day, it doesn't mean I'm going to tweet for two hours a day, right? It might mean I have one really good idea that will eventually then get remixed. And the truth is in the very beginning, and Daniel tweeted that before too, in the very beginning, you're going to consume so much more than you produce. And it's normal because you know nothing. What so, are you going to produce? Yeah, yeah. So really good point there. Since you're such like a shoot from the hip guy, I'd imagine this information has to come from somewhere like the inspiration has to strike so do you read a lot do you listen to podcasts like what do you consume and do you find that regularly turning into ideas um a bit of everything i i do i do think reading is the most efficient way to intake information by if you ever do like an audiobook and a book at the same time and you put the audiobook at max speed even at 3x or 4x or whatever the like, I can read a lot faster than that. So reading for me is so much faster. It doesn't mean I necessarily will retain everything, but I can consume a lot of information. 
And then, yeah, I think having breath and like podcasts about like other types of businesses or even like design or to a degree like geopolitics, right? You can get inspiration from different places. Like if you're only reading self-help and business books, then you're going to be a poor copy of those things. And most things are not big. And again, another kind of big topic, right? But most inputs are not very good. So getting good at identifying um, good inputs and as much as possible going to first principles and foundational texts, right? Like if we think about copy, well, there's a lot of copy courses out there, um, but something that was done in 2018 is going to be married to the tactics of today. Go read like the old, the old school stuff, yeah. right? That's yeah, that like Ogilvy and like looking at yeah. the ads from like the, the 1900s is super important. I started to do this recently. Uh, like I used to be one where like everything I was reading was like self-help and all the podcasts I'd listen to were like the Gary Vee podcast and Ed Milet and they're all great and I still listen and, and read certain things there. But like I enjoy reading like fiction and like history and like religious text so much more and I find it like gives me more ideas when it comes to content because yeah. it helps me to better understand, I guess, like human nature because you see it from a different perspective. Yeah, 100%. It's, and this is one of those things, right? Like, you have to find... The, the, we all should have the goal of having a healthy, balanced information diet. What that should be for you is different than for me because it has to be aligned with your goals and where you're at and your, your own culture, right? Like, there's... One like for example, video games. I know nothing. It's not. It's not a flex, right? I just I know nothing about video games, right? But in reality, it's bigger than movies and pro sports combined as an industry, right? Wow. So I know that my ignorance is actually not good. One one smart person somewhere said that when there's something in pop culture, you can't consume all of pop culture. It's just impossible. But going on Wikipedia and just knowing like what is the like. I've never seen like Stranger Things, for example, right? Yeah. yeah. And I'm just reminding myself now, I should go see what is the plot of that? Why do people care about that, right? So just getting some awareness of whatever resonates with, I'm, it's more of a B2C thing than a B2B, yeah. but like what, what do people gravitate yeah, towards? Yeah, what do the masses like? And figuring out what, what that is and then going to more primary sources and just having variety, right? Like, challenging yourself to read about something like let's just make up architecture right we're in a cool place here so maybe let your life inspire like oh i this is a cathedral like is that what it is yeah. okay so i don't i don't know anything about cathedrals maybe i should go find one thing to read about this right i was How, just gonna say right yeah. like why is there color in the windows i don't know there must be a reason yeah. I think that's a big part of my personality. Like when we first started coming here, this guy Fuente, I'm like, oh, what is the big deal about this brand? I read a whole article about how. What is the big deal about Fuente? It's one of the biggest cigar manufacturers in the world, and they came here. They came from Cuba. Okay. They had it's like a family business. Went from like, like the family hand rolling cigars to like the biggest one of the biggest cigar operations in the world, and they came to Tampa. I think Ybor City. Nice. Um, and they operated from there. But for me, like, 
whenever I hear about something, I just want to naturally learn two or three things about this. It's yeah. like curiosity. Yeah. Like if someone at the face value yeah. is like, oh, Fuente, cool. I want to go research like who yeah. founded it, how did it get here, why do they own yeah. this cigar bar, why are they sponsoring this place? Like I just, I have a natural affinity with looking things up and finding answers. And I think you can, going back to that DM that you talked about, right? Like yeah. the, you can train yourself to be curious and interested and, you know, being bored is because you're boring, right? In, in life, like, you shouldn't be bored in 2022. There's infinite inputs. And why not make yourself um, entertained by having variety and learning about different things? Like, Halbert will say, yes, you should have a swipe file of copy, but you should also have a swipe file of interesting facts and stories and factoids, right? And if you think of it that way... Every single thing that you do in your life is part of your swipe file. Yeah. Again, within, don't find two exceptions to that story, right? But like, generally speaking, it can serve your life and business if you sell to people or write copy or do marketing. Yeah. I think just being a well-rounded person in yeah. general makes you a better marketer. Dude, 100%, right? And there, there are some marketers that are like nerd marketers, which is cool in a way where like, you know, mar marketing tech and... They're just in the ad manager all day and looking at, at stuff and they're not doing the creative or the, the angles. That, that, that's cool, right? But if you're, if you're kind of a creative, then you can justify any kind of reading and consumption. Yeah. So that's a very, very long answer to that, uh, that question. But if you're smart about it, it's going to serve you. Yeah, like there's a reason Don Draper is the main character in Mad Men. Yeah. Not, not the guys who are the account managers. That's it's because he's this person like... Just Boom. going through life, and he just always has like this, not like overly curious thing, but he's constantly observing. Yeah. Right? Where he's like taking in, he's like experiencing all these different things, and he plays that into marketing. And obviously, it's a fictional story, but I feel like that's very true. Where like if you're kind of a Renaissance man and you're well rounded, well read, and you can apply that creatively to marketing, like you're just going to have that intangible advantage against well and you can build else. your rolodex of people way easier because yeah. last week we were at a marketing conference in portugal and we were just smoking cigars and some guy came up he's like can i sit with you guys we're like yeah he's like he's involved in a crypto project obviously crypto's not doing well but he was talking to me about it and i was i've just always been naturally like i've learned i've read up on a lot about web3 and all this crypto stuff nft stuff and i was talking to him about it. he's like dude you actually like have a pretty good grasp on this stuff and we connected, and I'm not saying it's ever going to lead to anything, but there is a scenario where you can relate to someone and make a connection with someone because you're well-informed on their subject matter, and that could turn into new clients, new introductions, 100%. new opportunities. Like, he could, once again, not saying it could ever happen, he could be like, hey, dude, check out this new project that no one else knows about. You invest in it 10 to 20 Xs, and that's just because you had the connection. 100%. And it's just... This is where, like, back to the idea of, like, lifestyle design, right? It's just more fun and interesting, right? It's like, joy of life. Yeah. Like... Would you would you want to do work you don't enjoy, be a trillionaire, and just just be a boring person? Like, be you know, don't be. <laughs> I always say it's like boring. a. It sounds dumb, but like a modern day Renaissance man. No, in that's, a way. that. It's one of those things I would never personally describe myself that way because it's super douchey, right? It's like yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. guy the guy on LinkedIn whose own bio is visionary, like. Come on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bro. But it's like you're able to go to the country club and talk to the older people about golf. And then that, you're able yeah. to go hang out with your friends and talk about sports. And then you can talk to your business partners about marketing. Like just being able to have an educated conversation in a ton of different areas. You know, 
so so sports is another area where I don't know much, and it's yeah. like it's not a flex, right? To say like I do think it's a bad idea to have your your entire identity attached to stuff you don't control. Yeah. But like when people say, "Oh, you're wearing another man's jersey, another man's name on your jersey, or whatever," like I, that's just I love that. It's it's, it's, it's BS, but the it, it's so dumb because like the amount of times I've am kind of like one of those people that you know the Twitter gurus will shit on, where I do have like an encyclopedic knowledge of sports, just because you know naturally tr- growing up I played sports. Sports are fun. Everyone's yeah. like, "Oh, why do you watch sports ball?" I'm like, "Cause it's fun." Dude. No, like, but it's like not the that deep. the amount of times that like that's been like a conversation starter. Oh, dude, a hundred percent, unbelievable. Or like that's been like. Uh, you know, a way to build rapport yeah. on a sales call that closes. It's, it, it's it's helpful. It's made me more money than it's cost me. Besides sports betting. <laughs> yeah, we're having a decent year. Yeah, you're, you're up? Can't say the same. So far, so far. No. No. <laughs> no, but, but it's, it, it just goes cool. back to that. Like, you go to a lightning game, you're sitting next to some fan, and you end up talking, and he runs a marketing agency. That's, yeah. And you sign a client from liking sports. It's just, it, it's just yeah. the way of the world. Well... I think we got to wrap it. Yeah. Producer's, uh, he's falling asleep He back fell asleep. There. Are we still, <laughs> but, are we still uh, live? No, dude, no. this was... Uh, Ironically, I said, don't be boring, and the producer's <laughs> dying over there. Slumped back there. Good. Not actually, but uh, Oliver, this was an absolute pleasure, man. Like, this was uh, a really cool opportunity for us to learn more about you, and I'm sure people in the audience as well are going to uh, really gravitate towards what you're working on now. So if you could just plug everything that... Uh, you're currently working on your Twitter account, your business. Where can people find you, learn more about you, and get in touch? Sure. Uh, if you have an existing audience, uh, either in the biz op space or in the health space, and you want to scale that business in a done-for-you way, uh, hit me up on Twitter, uh, at Oliver Canton. I'm sure you'll put that in the show notes. I won't spell that for you. And uh, thanks for having me, fellas. This yeah, man. This was an Absolutely. absolute yeah. pleasure. So if you're watching this, subscribe to the channel, like the video, share it with your friends, and uh, let us know if there's any other guests you want to see on the podcast. See you next time.